0: Hello. Welcome to my podcast. My name is Sam Walter, and today I will be discussing the topic of Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Ted Kaczynski was a mathematics prodigy who taught for a few years before changing to a survivalist lifestyle in the woods of Montana. Kaczynski would then spend 17 years of his life in the woods making bombs and mailing them to universities and airlines, killing three people and injuring 23. Ted Kaczynski was born on May 22, 1942, as the first child of his two parents. As a child, he had an allergic reaction which forced him into isolation. Some reports say that the isolation and the birth of his younger brother had changed his personality. While he was a child, his family moved to a suburb of Chicago, where his parents pushed him to achieve academic success. Ted skipped two grades in his early education, which made him the smallest and the youngest in all of his classes. David Kaczynski, Ted's brother, said that as a child, Ted was always very quiet and not very social. At the age of 16, Ted Kaczynski entered Harvard University on a full-ride scholarship. Records say he had a 167 IQ, which is hard to believe since the average is 100. While at Harvard, he studied math and was part of a psychological experiment which is thought to have led to his future actions. The experiment was conducted by a professor where the participants undertook extreme verbal abuse which likely didn't settle well with a man who was already a little bit off. After graduating from Harvard in 1962 with a bachelor's degree in math, he continued on to the University of Michigan. At Michigan, he taught classes and kept to himself. Ted would go on to graduate from the University of Michigan with a Ph.D. in math. After graduating, Ted moved west to teach at the University of California at Berkeley. This is where things began to get weird for Ted. Ted had a very hard time giving lectures in front of his students and strongly avoided contact with all of his students. This resulted in him resigning in 1969 after only two years of teaching. After leaving Michigan, Ted moved and settled in Lincoln, Montana in a small, homemade cabin. Ted wanted the most isolated property that he could get. There, he lived hunting rabbits, growing food, and spending a lot of time reading and learning. While living in isolation, Ted began to grow a strong opinion on the government and technology. Ted mentions that he had multiple times in his writing that he hated the system. Ted would continue to live in his cabin for about eight years before moving back to Chicago to work in the same factory as his brother. While working, it is told that Ted actually developed a relationship with a female worker, but it didn't last long. Ted went around writing rude messages about her, which resulted in him getting fired. Ted later said that he hated the job and he was just working to make enough money to live on his own. In 1978, the same year that Ted was fired, was the same year that the first bomb went off. Ted had left a homemade pipe bomb at the University of Chicago with a return address for Northwestern University. The bomb was sent to Northwestern University, where it was opened by a security guard. On May 25, 1978, the bomb went off, leaving minor injuries. The way that Ted designed his bombs is that they were full of scrapnel, which is pieces of metal that fly off in different directions when the bomb explodes. The purpose of scrapnel is that when the bomb explodes, small pieces of metal fly out, impaling the victim. Almost a year later, on May 9, 1979, another bomb went off at Northwestern University, but this time injuring a student. So far, his first two bombs have caused injury, but haven't been strong enough to cause a death. On November 15, 1979, Ted sends another bomb, but this time to an airline. Ted was looking to kill people, not just leave a message. The bomb exploded in the cargo hold of a passenger plane. The bomb had injured 12 people and forced an emergency landing, but still no deaths. On June 10, 1980, Ted sends a bomb to United Airlines President Percy Wood's home. The bomb explodes, but only injured Wood. Still no deaths. At this time, the FBI are looking for clues but have zero idea who who the so-called Unabomber is. A few months later, on October 8, 1981 a bomb was found in a classroom at the University of Utah, Salt Lake City. The bomb was identified and safely defused. At this time, police have a full bomb, but still have zero clue who this mysterious man is. On May 5th, 1982, a bomb was sent to a secretary at Vanderbilt University in Nashville. The bomb went off, but once again, nobody was killed, just another injury. On July 2nd, 1982, a few months later, a bomb went off at the University of California at Berkeley. The bomb injured a professor, but once again, there was no deaths. After the last bomb went off, Ted went quiet. There were no signs of the Unabomber for almost three years. On May fifteenth, 1985, he strikes again. The Unabomber sent a bomb to the University of California at Berkeley. The bomb went off injuring a student, but still no deaths. The bomb was almost like an important bomb. The meeting, the FBI had been going crazy for this unknown man, and then all of a sudden, he stops for two full years. Post offices and regular businesses began not to worry. They began going back to normal life, and then boom, another bomb went off. A month after his reappearance, a bomb was found in Auburn, Washington, which was safely diffused. In the same year, November 15, 1985, a bomb was found addressed to McConnell at University of Michigan. The bomb exploded, injuring a psychology professor, James McConnell, and his assistant, Nicholas Sueno. A month after the bombing at the University of Michigan, on December 11, 1985, a bomb went off killing Hugh Scruton near his computer store in Sacramento. This was the first fatality from a bomb. Police still have no clue who this man is. The mysterious man hadn't left a fingerprint or a piece of hair on any of his bombs. They were mailed with common stamps into an untraceable location. After the first fatality, Ted goes silent for a year. On February 20th, 1987, the Unabomber strikes again. The bomb went off injuring Gary Wright near his computer store in Salt Lake City. There was a sighting of a man delivering a package, which actually was the Unabomber himself. The police had a sketch drawn, but still could not track him down. The Unabomber goes silent again. He doesn't make a move for the next six years. People were starting to believe that he'd either died or stopped sending bombs. People began to go back to normal again and started not worrying about Ted. On June 22, 1993, The Unabomber strikes again, injuring Charles Epstein in his home near San Francisco. Two days later, a bomb detonated, injuring David Geltner, a Yale computer scientist. So far at this point, the Unabomber has killed one person, but has injured 22 people. The following year, on December 10, 1994, a bomb went off in advertising executive Thomas Moser's home, killing him. This was the second death by the Unabomber. The next bomb was sent on April 24, 1995, to California Forestry Association President Gilbert Murray. The package was opened in his office, killing him. This was back-to-back homicides. People are very scared at this point because the bombs are becoming more powerful and the FBI still has no clue who this man is. After sending the bomb, in June of 1995, the Unabomber sends a 35,000-word manifesto to the Washington Post and New York Times. The letter threatens to bomb an unknown location if the manifesto was not published. A month later, on June 28th, the Unabomber writes a letter to the San Francisco Chronicle threatening to bomb an L.A. plane if the manifesto is not published. The manifesto is aimed mainly at what Kaczynski calls the system. The manifesto talks about how society is affected by technology, particularly modern industrial technology. Kaczynski opens his manifesto with this claim. The Industrial Revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race. They have destabilized society and have made life unfulfilling, have subjected human beings to indignities, have led to widespread psychological suffering, and have inflicted severe damage on the natural world. After publishing the manifesto, it caught one person's attention a little more than everyone else's, Linda Kaczynski, Ted's sister-in-law. From an interview with Linda, she stated that she never cared for Ted because Ted never liked her. Linda says that she read the manifesto and it was written the same way Ted writes. She tells David, her husband, or Ted's brother, that she thinks that the Unabomber is Ted. David doesn't want to believe her, of course. But after comparing notes and letters Ted has sent David over the years to the manifesto, they had no other choice but to report it to the FBI. David even said in an interview that it sounded like the way Ted argued, the way that he talked, and the way that he expressed an idea. On April 3rd, 1996, Theodore Kaczynski was arrested on suspicion of the Unabombing cases. Three men dressed up as loggers and approached Ted's cabin. They called out to see if anyone was home. Ted was seen opening the door, and the men went up to him. The men stated that they were loggers and were lost and needed help finding a spot. That was able to get Ted to step out of the house to help them. When Ted stepped out, he was arrested quickly and stormed. Inside the cabin, the FBI located explosives, bomb components, an original copy of the manifesto, homemade weapons, and an active bomb that was ready to be mailed. During the trial, Ted asked on the first day if he could meet privately with the judge as he wanted to protest his brother's appearance in court. The judge said no, as the lawyers must be present. Kaczynski's defense attorney and federal prosecutors discuss a plea bargain which saves Ted from the threat of a death penalty. Attorneys for both sides agree that Ted Kaczynski has the right to represent himself in court. The judge quickly rejected Kaczynski's request to represent himself and then pleads guilty to the being the Unabomber. Ted Skaczynski was sentenced to four life terms in maximum security prison with no possibility of release. At this time I will be interviewing my father Phil Walter, on his thoughts of the Unabomber. Okay so the first question I have is in a documentary I watched from the Unabomber it says that Ted was always a little bit quiet do you think there's any specific event that really made him do what he did
1: I think there was a a couple events. Uh the first event was when he was an infant and he was hospitalized and his parents weren't allowed to see him but twice in an entire week and as as everybody knows like the the steps of upbringing in involves constant attention mm-hmm. uh when you're at a certain age and so they said that he was a happy smiley baby before that, but that kind of changed them for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one was the experiments at Harvard. Mm-hmm. And although the um, the one professor said that there were plenty of other people who sustained the same kind of testing, not all the other people had IQs of 167.
0: Yeah, yeah that definitely could have played a, an impact on that. And,
1: and how would you feel if well, you went to Harvard at 16 years old, how do you think you'd fit
0: in? I mean, I would not fit in as well. Cause I mean, everyone's already 18, 19, 20. So you're already the smallest and the youngest kid and you're already a little socially off. So you don't have any, um, you don't have anything in common.
1: Yeah. You're not playing sports, probably yeah. not in the club. And from another, uh, he's also
0: 16 years old living away from home in a dorm without his parents right
1: right you guys can't even get out of bed on your own no i know (laughs) so but there's another i saw this on a different one that the professor also made him feel comfortable um socially prior to those tests Mm -hmm. in other words like they would go and they They'd have a smoke break or made him feel cool and that he was you know and that he was years at sixteen old. years old that, and that he was really part of everything. And then they, when they got him in that room they just drilled him. Yeah. And um, he never let in, but you sure you, it was probably one of the first persons that he related to at Harvard and that guy let him down. Yep. So that definitely yep. spun him in a different direction.
0: Yeah. The next question I have is there was a trend in who he was attacking. Why do you think he targeted very smart professors after he was one himself?
1: Um, well, he he believed he believed that the the technology was the the single root of of all the problems, mm-hmm. and that even though um, he would he went after airlines, he went after uh, computer, he went after environmental. Uh, that the the technology because of the technology. All those other uh, industries were were part of the overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, what am I what What am I looking for? What does he uh, he He didn't want. He felt that technology at that level was a mistake.
0: I mean, it was like too advanced, and it was like taking people away from like the enjoyment of life. He said that absolutely weren't outside as much and that. They were spending most time in front of a computer or something
1: like that. And and But he also, he, he was most familiar in an academic setting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, he, he was at Harvard, and his first couple of bombings took place at universities. Mm-hmm. So it, he felt like, I guess he felt most comfortable in targeting those areas because yeah, he, he had some knowledge.
0: Yeah, definitely. The next question I have is, he went to Harvard with an IQ of 167 at the age of 16. What do you think made him quit his job so quickly after getting a PhD in math?
1: Well, understanding something and teaching something are two entirely different things. Uh you know, the fact that he was never socially uh aware and then had to stand stand in front of people to give a lecture, it was probably a very intimidating situation for him. It's not unlike a coach mm-hmm. of a sport who was extremely talented, but it was all natural, and he didn't have to work at it, yeah. but then could not relate his his teaching, his education yeah. to other people.
0: And you have to think, he was also, I mean, if he started college at the age of 16, he was probably teaching by, a teacher's assistant, by 20, 2021. 20, point. So he was teaching people that were even older than him, so he had, he had to look at them and kind of be like yeah I'm the boss here but just getting Yeah,
1: that's an excellent point. That's
0: yeah. Um the next question I have is Ted lived in the middle of nowhere but bombs make a loud noise when they go off. How do you think he got away with testing so many bombs without getting caught?
1: Well, I think he lived he lived on a completely different schedule and uh lifestyle than anyone else and he would always, he never took popular trails. Mm -hmm. He always, he always kind of snuck around in the woods and he, and he was, he was a hermit. His goal was to not be seen. So as time went on, and I believe he was talking about his one camping spot that was so isolated that, you know, Montana is a, is a big state. I think Montana is about the third or fourth biggest state in the country. There's a lot of room out there to, Mm -hmm. to spread out and I'm sure he found caves and all kinds of other things. Plus he was just so, he was so book smart that he, he would know the reaction yeah. of, of certain chemicals.
0: Yeah. Uh, the last question I have is if, if it wasn't for Ted's brother and sister-in-law, do you think the FBI would have found him?
1: Well, it's, it, it's really interesting that our cousin, Michael worked forensics mm-hmm. for the FBI at that time. And, and we'd been talking about that. And, um, he feels like, he, he feels like that eventually he would have gotten caught because he was starting to do more brazen,
0: uh, starting to like reach out. Like, he, yeah, right. Like he, he, kinda, and he, he
1: kind of, he, he kind of, I, I think wanted some reassurance from, from the world that yes, he really was that smart that he could mm-hmm. do this. And, uh, you know, like all serial killers, you know, eventually, you know, it's, it's not the. The killing that bothers them, or or anything, but they want the recognition for doing it, mm-hmm. and getting away
0: from it for so long, getting man. away
1: from it, and he, you know, he looks at himself as smarter than everyone else, which yep. he probably was. He, yeah, he was. But it really wasn't his brother; it was his sister in law that was really suspicious of mm-hmm. it. If it wasn't for she a... was
0: the one that like saw it and like compared it to other notes that he had written right. in the past, it was right. like. David, like this is this is your brother writes the same way. It's the same right, font, right? A-
1: but there was there the the FBI was kind of another um, show that I'd seen or read about it that there was a characteristic of his writing that they actually narrowed down to doctoral level education in a midwestern city. Mm-hmm. You know and, I mean
0: he was midwestern, graduated at the top right. level. Right.
1: And... and and that was that was one of the forensics um now he wouldn't they wouldn't have had the letters to compare if the sister and brother didn't give them but when they had a a forensics expert with the handwriting uh-huh. and not not actually the handwriting but the prose of how he used different words and and that was they were starting to narrow it down. So yeah, I think the FBI would have gotten him eventually. But who knows how many more people would have been, been killed? Hurt. I mean, like, he,
0: when he was when they captured him or arrested him, there was an active bomb that was ready to be mailed. All it had to do was be taken to the post office. Absolutely. Like, so he was he was ready to hurt another person. So yeah, thank you. You're welcome. If you are bored and interested in watching a new series on Netflix, I highly recommend the show In His Own Words. It's a four-episode series on the Unabomber. That's it for my podcast. Thanks for listening.